Reading from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs indeed, it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, happy are those who live in your house, ever singing in your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go, through from, they go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. Psalm 84. Now we're in a series about, about Jonah. And uh, I don't know why I'm getting this way. I think it's because of age. But in the last five years, I've been thinking about the word of God. The word of God cracks me up. And I keep telling you this. I don't know if it's the way I look at the Word of God. I don't know if it's my perspective. But it's funny to me. And last week we talked about necessary, necessary suffering. That sometimes God will allow necessary suffering in our lives to kind of get us back following Him. To get us back in, into working with Him. And so we know that Jonah did not want to be obedient to God. And he was trying to run away. And he would prefer to die rather than be obedient. And he said, throw me over. And so last week we ended up where he was in the belly of this fish for three days. For three days. The belly of a fish. And I was telling you last week, I don't like to go fishing. I don't like anything to do with fish. I don't even like to eat fish. I don't even like to smell fish. Let alone being stuck in the belly of one. So when we put this message together, this starts, starts cracking me up again. Now I want you to look at this passage. Just If you read this, doesn't this crack you up? Then the Lord spoke to the fish. Am I the only one that thinks, man, the Lord is speaking to fish now? Okay, does he understand fish language? Yes, he created fish. Now get this. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto, and it emphasizes this, dry land. So that means that fish had to project Jonah from water all the way from the shore to the dry land, right? Now if you imagine, like I do, and if I'm stuck in a well or fish for three days, I haven't walked, I haven't moved any muscles, I've been in a fetal position for three days, and just being projected out there with all your glory and hitting the ground and just laying there. And I'm talking about humiliation because God could have simply done something different. He could have just took him out of the boat, thrown him in the No, he just said, okay, you wanna play that game? We'll play that game. And so he went through this tremendous amount of humiliation. And so this is where all of a sudden you go, my goodness, how in the world, if you're in a well, in a fish for three days, you start evaluating your decisions, don't you? You start to say, man, maybe this wasn't good being thrown off a boat. Or maybe this is not good by disobeying God. And take a look at this. The Lord, it's on the screen. The Lord's word came to Jonah a second time. Now this is him in his fetal position full of well 
fish barf laying on the dry land. And then, then the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, get up. Now, I don't know about you, but I go, no, I, I need to get up. I know I do. But he goes, get up. And this is the consistency of God here. Go to Nineveh, the great city, declare against it the proclamation that I am commanding you. And Jonah got up, went to Nineveh according to the Lord's word. So God was consistent. The Lord was consistent with what he wanted Jonah to do. Jonah did all kinds of stuff to disobey him, but man, the message came back. There's many times that I hear what the Lord wants me to do, that I'm passionate about doing something, and I just don't want to do it. You know, I know what scripture is. I know scripture says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Consider pure joy, my brother, when you, when you go through tribulation. I, I get that. I don't want to do it. I don't want to forgive. And then sometimes by doing that, there's choices I have to live with. And the Lord is. He's consistent with me. Because there's times that I've been in this fetal position that the Lord goes, it's time to get up again. Because I'm going to be consistent and I've called you to do the same thing what I called you to do a month ago or two months ago. And so, so he finally got back walking with the Lord again. It's calling to be the person God created him to be. And interesting, so I titled the sermon Getting Closer. Because many of us have feel like the Lord is not close anymore. You don't feel the presence of God. You're not feeling him. And so a lot of people get mad at God or don't feel that there's a God. And sometimes, like Jonah, when you disobey what God wants you to do or the lack of obedience, we don't feel the presence of God. We don't sense the presence of God. And so it's understand that there's necessary suffering to get us back into that spiritual walk that we have to walk with him. It's interesting, the, the word of God talks about walk all the time. That why is the word walk? I walk with him, my spiritual walk. Look on the screen. The spiritual walk is about the practicality of putting one foot in front of the other. Day by day, faithfully walking in the direction God has called us to walk. A spiritual walk is never about your spiritual beliefs. It is about your spiritual practices, which open you up more fully to the work of God's grace in your life. Now these days, uh, about 10 years ago, I was so frustrated with the evangelical Christians. I don't know if you've ever get frustrated with them. So I decided to do this. I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You ever said that? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And I remember telling my accountability friend, Bob Monobonic, and he said, shut up. You're a pastor. You work for a religious organization. How in the world are you going to say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual? And I remember thinking, I don't want to be put in that category of being a hypocrite. So I'm not religious. You cannot be spiritual without being religious. You can't do it. I can't, I can't figure it out. So what I've learned is this. Spiritual but not religious people are usually talking about the spiritual beliefs they accept or reject. But what are beliefs worth if they do not have an effect on what you do. Unless your belief are manifested in what you say and do, what are they worth? Your faith is dead on arrival. So for my faith to be manifested through religion? Okay, follow me here. 
James, James told us the same thing. James is known as uh, Jesus' stepbrother. And he says this in verse 14. What good is it, my brother and sister, if you say you have faith and you do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat in your fill, and yet do nothing to supply their bodily needs. What is that good? What good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. And whenever we're talking about faith, faith it always needs to go into practice. Now, notice I didn't say organized religion. Because there's two different translations here. There's the world's translation, where we talk about organized religion, and then the biblical translation, what's called religion. So if the Bible is talking about religion, let's not look at the organized religion, which did not exist then. Let's look at the definition of what religion is. So James, Euro James, defines what religion is. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep oneself abstained from this world. That is the purest form of religion. That's what James defines religion as. And so when we look at this, religion practices is a walk of faith which is meant to take you someplace. It is never an end to itself. Once it becomes an end to itself, it tends to fortify the ego and creates pride. Now, somebody asked me last week, I think it was Bob, uh, my accountability person, he said, when was the closest you were to God? When did you feel the closest to God? I go, I know exactly it was in southern Sudan with my wife. I, I, I believe God takes your greatest pain and makes it in your greatest ministry. We don't have children, so we start an orphanage. We as a church. And it was 100, and according to Jennifer, I can't remember, it was 118 degrees. There was about six trees within a four-mile radius. White people, 118 degrees. But yet, I remember we were walking with a group of children that had the most precious orphans on the planet. And Jennifer goes, I don't want to go. Because it was the purest form of religion. And so this is interesting to me that the transition to scriptures, if we look at the two scriptures we read, one of them is what we should do, what is true religion, and the other one is what not is religion, what not to do in our religion. It's an excellent contrast. The first one is Psalms, and it talks about what we should do. Psalms 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, or host, my soul longs indeed, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to, to strength. Now back in those days when the Psalms was written, People used to make these regularly, regular pilgrimages and journeys through Baca, which was a desert, up to Mount Zion, which was a temple was up there. 
follow me. The temple of Jerusalem was a place where the presence of God was to be found on earth. So the destination of the journey was to be in the presence of God, but the psalm said that people can have constant highway to Zion, unquote, in their hearts. The highway is a journey of faith. It is a journey of shedding ego and pride in order to experience the joy of being one with God. Good religious practices is just, is just the highway and is never the destination. Now follow me here. And scripture says, as they go through Baca in the desert, they were experiencing life. They were experiencing joy in the midst of the journey, not just a destination. You and I go, oh man, I gotta get to this destination, I gotta do this. But we never experience life in the midst of the valleys. Man, God is with you in those. That we can have that highway to Mount Zion every day in our hearts. And it's interesting how they say, even at a dead place here, their lives turns to be a life-giving place for them, a refreshing place, a new life. But the gospel reading today uses a contrast to this. In fact, in Luke uh, chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, he also told this parabus, uh, parabus. You know what a parabus is? I have no idea either. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, thank you that I am not like these other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice, I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who would exalt himself will be humbled, but all that will humble themselves will be exalted. One of the best prayer warriors in this church is Al Johnson. Have you heard him pray? Pastor Al Johnson with his voice? Can you imagine? He's not here, so I can talk about him. Could you imagine he gets up during communion? He leads in communion. You know how he does this? And then you know the Holy Spirit's going to kick in. You know, he's like holding it. Could you imagine me going, thank God that I'm not like Pastor Reuben. Thank God that I'm not like Brooke, like those other peons. Thank God I'm, you know, and all this. And you're going, what, do you see the humor in this? And all of a sudden, Al Johnson's picking on all of us. Thank God I'm not like him because I give 10% of all my income. I am the perfect example of what a follower of God is. But yet you have poor May sitting there praying her heart out. Who is justified? I mean, he's making this crazy example of what is just ego, but not repentance. And so sometimes when our ego gets so caught up, that's all the lifting we're going to get is our own selves. The contrast. See, religious practices, when, when it is an end to itself, leads to pride. The ego loves this sort of religious practices because it gives people a sense of false moral superiority. It leaves them standing alone away from the presence of God and in the judgment of others. So we see a lot of Christians that are very judgmental. 
are assigned, no judgment, only love. When we're really in the presence of God, there is no judgment. There's no judgment. And so there's a difference here. Back on the screen. God, good spiritual practices, practice is a movement or a journey which brings us closer to fully enjoying the presence of God because it strips us from the pride which is a barrier between ourselves and God and others. So I want to lay down the groundwork to these religious practices, and I want to go into uh, how this works and how this is applied to us. And so how do we practice our faith? He put it in the nutshell here, and it's on the screen. Uh, John Wesley. John, John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church. We are free Methodists. There's a methodology here. And so if you're, if you're diehard Wesleyan, You'll go on this pilgrimage in Europe to see where he was born, where he died, and all that stuff. It's really interesting. Do you remember um, Marissa from her church? She named her dog Wesley. That's how hardcore she was into Wesleyanism. Okay? If you didn't know that, that's what she did. John Wesley is known for this. He says this. Where is it? Do all, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That's a tall order, if you think about it. Now, he's not telling us to be do-gooders. And he's not saying this is the way that makes God happy. But John Wesley never saw religious practice to the end of itself. He saw it practicing something else here. Follow me. Wesley saw religious practices, practice as a means to the end. It was what he referred to the means of grace. When we choose to walk the highway to getting closer to God through our spiritual practices, those practices become the means of which God's grace flows more and more into our lives. God's grace is, is what transforms us into people who can more fully enjoy the presence of God in the life and in the life to come. And so what he did, he created these two categories on what it means to means of grace. Follow me on the screen. The first one is the works of piety and the works of mercy. And so he said these need to balance each other out, the works of piety and the works of mercy. But under that, he, designed, he puts this, individual works of piety communal works of piety, individual works of mercy, communal works of mercy. So there's an individual side to our walk with the Lord, and there's a communal part of our walk through the Lord. So these categories you see the practice is what we call spiritual discipline. Back on the screen. Individual works of piety are the spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, searching scripture, and healthy living. Wesley also said about communal uh, practices, the works of piety. On the screen, communal works of, of piety are the group disciplines of frequent partakers of the Lord, Lord's Supper, baptism, regular Christian fellowship, or community. So he talks about how the Lord meets your individual needs, but also we need to have our communal needs together, to grow together. And so, back on the screen, individual works of mercy are doing good deeds. Visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, feeding the 
the clothing those in need and earning and saving and giving money. Did you see what one of the Grace Trek groups did yesterday? They went to a special adult place that had huge special needs and celebrated Halloween with them. And so Leo was in some kind of crazy suit, which the thing is, that's normal for Leo to wear stuff like that, <laughs> you know. But they were very, I mean, it was just, you, if you look on the church Facebook, the, it, it makes a difference when you get out of yourself. You do communal things together. And finally, uh, the, individual, the individual works of mercy are doing good deeds, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, feeding and clothing those in need, and earning and saving and giving money. Now, finally, we have Wesley's communal works of mercy. Communal works of mercy are focused on addressing societal issues like racial injustice. This is in the 1800s when he wrote this. Human trafficking and restoring creation and environment. They didn't know, uh, they didn't know about climate change, but they called it creation care. That's based on scripture to take care of what God has given us, the earth. To take care of the earth and leave it in a better place that we've had. This is in the 1800s. So two years ago, if you remember, about three years ago, that I went restored in order to restore. I, I've been like just a broken record on this. Restored in order to restore. And I told you three years ago that the Lord needed to restore me as a pastor because I had so many religious church denominational issues and the Lord said it's going to take me two years to move through it and it was hard. Then the two years and we're halfway through that for the grace track for you guys to really be transformed, to be restored in order to restore and then starting in October we're talking about the property being restored. So a six year commitment here. And I didn't realize this when it came three years ago restored in order to restore it. It is exactly what John Wesley was talking about. And I'm going, dude, Wesley in two. You know, this is cool. And so this is interesting. It says this. The ego always tries to make spiritual practices about you. And when, when it becomes about, look at me, look how God, look how good and holy I am, it's no longer about the restorations or the restoration of others. When practicing rightly, it means giving grace. And it's important to understand this is what restored in order to restore. Jesus very, very much warned us about this. And Jesus stresses not making a showboat, showboating our religious practices. Because here, why? Because that will rob you from the real reward of being restored. So, how do we do this? He says do it in secret. And this is what we read on Ash Wednesday, this scripture. And this, again, scripture cracks me up. He says this, this is Jesus. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people and draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from the Father who is in heaven. Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do. Now imagine, I decide to say, it says, don't blow your trumpets. I decide, oh, there's a little child. Here, little child, I'm going to let you help you. (laughs) 
just want everyone to know that I just helped this little child and I gave a dollar, which didn't cost me anything. Do you see how funny scripture is to me? Now, this is what we do sometimes because we sit there and say, okay, I want people to know what I'm doing. We do this on Facebook all the time. Do you remember people on Facebook? They say, don't give me gifts. No one's going to give you a gift. <laughs> None of my Facebook friends have given me a gift, and I ain't giving you squat. But they go, don't give me gifts, false humility. Donate to this. You see, my, I want everyone to know this is important to me. I'm not donating. You are donating to me in my name. We've got to be very careful. Because that's the you know, transformation, restoration is not going to happen here. So, uh, whenever you get to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets so that you may get praise from people. I assure you that the only reward they'll get. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your father who sees you, sees what you do in secret, will reward you. But when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner so that the people will see them. I assure you that the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to the room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in presence in the secret place. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know that they are fasting. <laughs> like the first Halloween here. Distort their faces so people know uh, what will happen. Oh, shoot, lost my place. And they will know that they are fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to the Father who is present in the secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now let me show you this, and this is for me. When I was reading this, and sometimes scripture just comes really hard to you. And uh, we were in a board meeting on Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday. Tuesday, we had a board meeting on Tuesday. And we're discussing the restoration of the facilities. And I had this dream six years ago. Dreams are safe, aren't they? In your dreams, everything goes perfect. When the Lord puts things on your heart, you just go, oh, this is what the Lord's doing. But when a dream becomes faith, there's where it starts kicking in. And then when a dream becomes practice, if your faith is practice, the religious, that's where it hits the, hits the fan. Because what happened, I'm sitting there and I go, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And I'm starting to get overwhelmed. And I'm starting to get scared. And we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. And we're talking about uh, hiring architects and builders and permits and all that stuff. And I'm going, <sighs> and I remember, you know, guys know Dana. She's not here either. I don't know what it. Dana looked at me and I could tell she was looking through me. And she knew I was panicking. And uh, I got home, and Jennifer was asking me how the board meeting go, and I just did not want to talk because I was so overwhelmed. I had a prophetic word given to me that my faith 
I need to learn to live more by faith. And I didn't know what that meant because they didn't tell me. And so in my prayer life, the next day, I just kind of walked. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? The Lord speaks when you shut up. And the Lord will say things that you necessarily don't want to hear. And so I actually said, I wish I was an associate. This is too much pressure to be the senior. And so I felt the Lord put on my heart to get my faith into practice that I needed to pray for bravery, that I needed to pray for courage. This is what I've noticed. When you're here, when you need to go here, when you're overwhelmed in this situation here, and you're sitting here praying for courage, praying for bravery, it ain't going to kick in. It only kicks in when you begin to walk with faith. And then right when you get to the point, the bravery will kick in. The courage will be there. But we don't get there, do we? We don't get there. And so it gave me a sense of peace, like, I don't have it all together here. But I serve a God that does. And I serve a God that knows what's going to happen a week from now, two weeks from now, three months from now. And so this is where it's fascinating, where the purity of religion, the purity of, of God manifesting a calling in your life. Because when I sat here, God's going to go, get up, go. I called you. I didn't call anyone else. So don't quit. Because I want to go, Ruben, you're the senior pastor. I'll be the associate. <laughs> you see what I mean? Because I didn't want this calling. And so I want to encourage you. The last thing I have to say is on the screen. As much as possible, do your religious practices. On the download. That way your ego doesn't get rewarded. But you will be restored in such a way as to be closer to God and to enjoy God's presence in your life. God's presence will spill out in your life in the forms of grace, which brings restoration to others. It's not about you. It's about bringing restoration to others. Continue to pray for our church board. Continue to pray for the movement of what the Lord's doing in our, our lives. But continue my prayer for this church is that your faith will be put into practice. Your sense of justice will be exercised. Your joy will be full of his joy. And that whatever you do in secret, pray through that secretness because that is so important. May God bless you and may God bless his word.